What would our world be without leaders, innovators, and kingdom builders? Welcome to Under the Crown, where you get inside the twisted minds of our host, Trey Carmichael, and the kings and queens in his circle. Covering leadership, marketing, sales, recruiting, management, and so much more. Under the Crown is here to help you build your kingdom. Are you prepared for the siege? What's going on, guys? It's your man here, Trey Carmichael, coming at you with another episode of Under the Crown. I've got someone I'm excited to bring you guys. It's my man, Nathan, with Ecom Balance. How you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Trey. How are you? Welcome to Colorado. I'm doing amazing. <laughs> it is beautiful out in Colorado. We should have been doing this interview in person if I would have thought about it sooner. I know. It's actually a nice day here. I feel like it's been not so great for the past week, but today's beautiful. After this, I'm going for a dog walk. I dig it. I'm probably going to do the same thing. So let's dive right into this. I know you've only got so much time and your time's very valuable, man. So I always like to start out with the King's journey. Who were you before you got into the entrepreneur space and how did you find yourself being the man you are today? Yeah, I mean, I was a, a broke college kid. I grew up, my parents were both teachers and they made me get a job at, at a pretty young age. I, I was 15, 16, which is kind of funny because my, my wife and I are foster parents now and we're kind of going through the same thing with our 16-year-old foster kid, kind of forcing him to get a job, even though he'd rather just sit at home and watch TV. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was me. I, I had to, my parents made me buy everything myself uh, and I grew up very middle class. And I also grew up, being able to go to high school, I lived in East Longmeadow, which was very middle class, and I got to go to school in Longmeadow because my dad taught at Longmeadow High School. So I got kind of grandfathered into the school system. But everyone in Longmeadow, all my friends, their parents were doctors, lawyers, dentists, entrepreneurs. They had everything, every video game, nice cars, nice bikes, you name it. And so I grew up always like really wanting more while also growing up in a family that made me buy everything and work and save and taught me how to invest in stocks at, at a young age. So I, I had all these job experiences and I really learned that I hated working for other people. I hated having a boss. I hated having time to go to work. And I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't really know what that meant. And, and that kind of led me to in college, I started buying and selling textbooks, which led me to Amazon and my first business. And I ended up quitting an internship and not looking back. But it was kind of that, that sense of having to provide for myself, make money to pay for things I need, uh, seeing kind of the value of hard work through these different jobs and, and also kind of having that entrepreneurial spirit at a young age. Awesome, man. You, honestly, you're you're an inspiration to a lot of people in a lot of ways. And I wish that I had been taught all of that stuff at a young age, because as when I was growing up, I made a lot of really bad money decisions just because I didn't know any better. I didn't have examples and I didn't have people to look to. So I invested in the wrong things and I pulled the trigger on the wrong things too quickly. So I actually... I, I think more people should be teaching their kids those things earlier, and they're actually more receptive to it than most parents think their kids are going to be. 
Yeah, I mean, I think learning money at a, a young age is so important. We've been trying to teach that to our foster kids and you almost like take it for granted. I know I did. Like I had two loving parents and we grew up middle class, but they taught me the, the value of a dollar and how to save money and invest and plan for the future and not just spend everything that you own. And and that's a, a life skill that that I kind of take with me to, to this day. And I still feel like we still live pretty just frugal and we're always focused on the future and saving and maxing our retirement accounts and all the kind of stuff that, that goes with it. It's a good, good life skill to have. Yes, sir. So I want to kind of lean into a couple questions about some of the stuff with virtual assistants and building cult culture remotely, because that's initially kind of what you what you built what you built your initial career around with free up and everything else before building ecom balance and one of the beautiful things about you man is i always see these clips and pictures and all this of you just having these really amazing interactions with your team and most people have a hard time building that kind of cult culture in a remote setting so what are the, some of the things that you're doing to actually build that kind of culture into your remote team? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. So, I mean, we have high expectations for people we work with and we look for eight players. We want people who have not only the skill, but attitude and communication as well. And in return, we, we try to give them a really great culture, whether it's certain hours or whether it's team happy hours or getting to know them on a personal level or figuring out what they want, if they want to be moved into a leadership role or or more of a comfortable situation or, or whatever it is. So we're very focused on, on building a good culture, a place that people want to be. And we've done this kind of at, at multiple companies. And I mean, part of it's just turnover, like turnover is expensive. Turn, it's really tough to run a business if you're constantly replacing people. And you, the, the truth is you can't compete with money. There's always going to be someone out there who can pay your people more money than you can. So your only other option is compete with culture, compete with creating a team that likes each other. That's a big family. I mean, we've made trips to the Philippines when we sold free up. We, we took a large chunk of money over $500,000 and gave it to our team and made sure they were taken care of because we couldn't have built the, the business without them. And to this day, like we're planning a Philippines trip next year. We do happy hours every month um, for the, our U.S. bookkeepers. We we go and get a beer with them on Friday. So it's kind of a combination of having high expectations, but also treating people very well. And I always tell people, and I don't know how true this is, but our goal at least is to be and everyone's favorite boss. We want to be the best boss, the best client, whatever word you want to put in there that they've ever had, because again, you can't compete on money. So you have to focus on stuff like that. Man, that is almost unfound. And when you invest in your team like that, they're really going to invest back into you and make sure that everything gets taken care of because you make them believe in your mission as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a part of our mission. I mean, we're we're always open to feedback too. Like we want to hear what people like, what people don't like, what other businesses that they've worked at have done. And we try to take pieces of it um, and apply them to our company while also um, kind of having our own way to go about like setting goals and getting people to buy in, uh, buy into the company. So this is kind of, it, it all kind of goes into our mentality of running a business. Absolutely, man. So you have your your prior business outsource school, which still has an incredibly valuable program for entrepreneurs to help actually learn how to build these remote teams and this cult culture the way that you do it. So 
I'm going to guess that one of the most common things that you've ran into with that business was actually getting people to release control of different tasks and pass them off to the VAs. Most of, most of us entrepreneurs are a little bit of control freaks. So how have you been able to conquer that as aspect yourself as well as helping some of your students conquer that one? Yeah, I mean, it, first of all, it comes from experience. I, I Back in the day, I didn't want to give control of my Amazon business. I remember going to an accountant for the first time because I had to start paying taxes. And he asked me when I would hire my first employee. And I said, why would I do that? That's money out of my pocket. They're going to steal my ideas. They're going to hurt my business. I can't trust anyone. I love doing this. I'm going to do this seven days a week for the rest of my life. And he just laughed in my face and said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. Well, sure enough, I got to my first busy season, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and I just got destroyed. I was working 20 hours a day. My social life plummeted. My grades went down. Um, and I just found myself in a position where I got to January and I was like, okay, I learned that lesson. I need to start hiring people right now. And, and hiring and what we teach at outdoor school, like hiring goes one of two ways, either you don't trust people or you have a bad experience and that scares you and you kind of make the biggest entrepreneur mistake where you think you're the only person that can do things right. Or it's addicting. You realize, hey, that customer service that I've been doing for the past six months, I don't have to do that anymore. I got someone who's reliable, who can take it over for me, where I can focus on bigger and better parts of my business. Um, and that's very addicting. So we try to teach people how to get to that addicting place Part of it is starting off with very small tasks. Like one of our most our most popular uh, SOPs in outsource school is our podcast outreach formula, which is how to get on podcasts. It's a great place to start because it's pretty low risk. If a VA pitches you on 100, 200, 1,000, 2,000 podcasts, and you don't get on any, like, does that really hurt you? Like those podcast hosts aren't going to know who you are in, in a few months. So it's a great way to, to learn how to hire, learn how to delegate, learn how to give directions, learn how to give feedback while also not putting yourself in a situation where your business is going to get hurt in some way if the VAs don't do what they want. And from that, that's going to get addicting. You're going to learn about hiring. You're going to implement a lot of what we teach at Outsource School. And then you can start passing off lead generation or customer service or other things that have a much bigger impact uh, in the day-to-day -day of your business. That's awesome, man. So how did you make the decision to gravitate away from outsource school and start the bookkeeping program through Econ Balance and Account Balance? Yeah. So the real story is we sold free up in November, 2019. So the original plan was to take a few years off, travel the world, um, kind of enjoy all the, the fruits of our labor. Uh, but then the pandemic hit a few months after selling the business. And that was a, a very weird place to be because we were stuck at home with no business to run and we couldn't travel or, or really do anything. So we, we could only watch so much Netflix and we started brainstorming ideas, but the truth is we didn't really have any great ideas and uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of people reached out to me and said hey like w if you taught people your hiring process people would get a lot of value out of it so we built this course called Cracking the VA Code under Outsource School, and we gave people like a, a beta version. We we had like a discounted rate for our first like 50, 100 clients, and we didn't know if people were going to like it, hate it. We had never sold a course or a membership before, and if people hated it, we were just going to refund everyone and move on to something else, and people really liked it, which kind of led us to build a lot of SOPs and, and build out Outsource School for, for a good year. 
and turn it into a, a nice passive income stream for us, but also something that seems to add a lot of value. People really like it, get good, get good reviews, and it's helped a lot of people um, who are bad at hiring become really good at hiring. So that that was going on. And again, it was passive. Once we kind of built all our SOPs into outsource school, again, we started brainstorming. What do we want to do next? We want to do something away from VAs and freelancers because we've done that for the past five, six years. What is that next thing? And we started experimenting with real estate and consulting with people. And we, we started consulting with these different e-commerce sellers. And we realized pretty quickly we hated being consultants. And we'll probably never will be consultants again. But the common theme was we we had to help people revamp their bookkeeping processes before we could help them make decisions because they were making decisions off bad data, bad numbers. So once we did this for a few companies, we said, hey, maybe there's a market for it. And we started doing market research. We interviewed 100 plus e-commerce sellers. You could find those interviews on the Ecom Balance blog and, and learn who are the competitors, what do people like, what do people not like, all those kinds of things. So um, yeah, that kind of, again, we launched a beta. We gave 25 clients two months of free bookkeeping and hired a team. And if people hated it, again, we just refund them and move on to something else. But luckily people really liked it and we've been able to build a great bookkeeping team and have a hundred clients now. And we're really excited for, for year two. So it's a little bit of trial and error and brainstorming and beta testing and seeing what we enjoy doing and, and what there's actually a market for. That's huge, man. And I have heard nothing but good things about e-com balance and account balance since you guys got that going. Like, even behind closed doors, I haven't heard any bad comments, and that's rare. It's almost unfound in this space, which I, I know you're aware of. I, I appreciate it. I so, mean, like I – yeah, I was just going to say, like, we we do our best to, to make clients happy, and there's always bumps with any startup, but if we mess up, we just try to make it right and make it sure everyone's treated fairly and, and move on. And that's kind of the mentality that we, we do for all our businesses. Yeah, you guys set a very fabulous example of communication when things do happen, because with, with new businesses, there's always going to be optimization and things that have to be changed and upgraded and things that happen, like you said, it's literally inevitable and it all comes down to communications and how you address it as the business owner. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's all true. Awesome. So what are the most important numbers to get that actually get revealed once you get your bookkeeping straight so you can make better decisions? Yeah, this is always like my least favorite question because every, every business is it's completely different. So it's tough to like look at KPIs. I mean, obviously there's basic stuff like sales and recurring revenue and turnover um, and, and monthly expenses and stuff like that. But the what I like to focus on is you need to set up a good monthly bookkeeping process. You don't need to actually do the bookkeeping, but you need a process where by the 10th, by the 15th of each month, you get an income statement, balance sheet and cash flow. And then you need a meeting on your calendar and we have a, a finance meeting agenda. You can grab at econ balance, but this should be on your calendar every single month that you meet with your business partner, meet with your team leaders, and you go through these reports and you're comparing them to the previous month and you're comparing them to the same month last year. Mm -hmm. And that's going to show you, hey, is payroll going up faster than sales? Is one of my products doing better than the other? Are my margins going up or are they going down? And, and getting into that repetitive state where every month you're reviewing, you're comparing 
And then you're going to figure out, hey, what are the important KPIs for my business? Like for free up, it was customer retention. It was recurring revenue. It was fixed price versus hourly billing. Um, obviously, internal expenses and software costs were, were big to kind of follow as well to see how those were going up. But for e-commerce, it, it's completely different. So um, it, it's really case by case. But what's most important is you get into that good monthly process. I honestly think that that's the best answer to that question, because the majority of questions about operations or finances, et cetera, usually the answer is simply it depends. Right, exactly. <laughs> so what should somebody actually do in order to prepare to hire a bookkeeper and start that process? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So you do want to have the best setup. That means no intermingling of personal and business. That means having separate business checking account, business credit cards, and using banks that allow view-only access and don't make it so you have to download statements every single month. Um, using QuickBooks or Xero, uh, those are the two most popular bookkeeping softwares. Don't use a free software like Wave. Don't use a company like Bench that you're using their software because that makes it impossible to, to move to something else. Put yourself in position to hire good bookkeepers and, and also make it easy for them. Most businesses don't need 10 bank accounts. I personally think profit first is a little crazy. Um, I've never done that in my business and it might be good for people who, who aren't great at saving money for taxes or whatever, but for most entrepreneurs, the simpler, the better. Make it easy for your bookkeepers. If you're an e-commerce company, you need a software like A2X to connect to um, the different marketplaces to, to make the data transition very easy. Um, but that's it. Keep it simple and, and hire a bookkeeper that, that knows your industry. Awesome. So in your opinion, what questions should a business owner be asking when selecting their bookkeeper? I mean, if you're an e-commerce seller, you want to know what e-commerce experience they have. You want to know how many clients they have. You want to know what the communication is going to be like, who you're going to be dealing with, how quickly you can expect responses, um, when you should expect your books every single month. Um, those are key. Like th that's kind of my starting point. And we've hired bookkeepers for, for numerous businesses. And that's kind of what we focus on. If I'm, if I'm an e-commerce seller, I'm not going to hire a bookkeeper that's had one Shopify client two years ago. I want someone who's been in the space for a while and, and knows it. I love that, man. So let's dive a little bit more into the personal side. I always like to wrap up the show by by asking how you actually carry the weight of your crown and take care of everything that's going on underneath. And that's your mindset, your physicality and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, a big proponent of just work hard, play hard. I like to have a, a good time in life, but also work really hard on whatever I'm doing. Like I work out once a day, I go really hard for an hour. Same if I play softball, same if I'm with my family, my foster kids, I'm trying to have a, a really good time and obviously with, with work as well. So that's kind of my mentality. Um, I'm a big proponent of like eating healthy. Like I'm a pescatarian. I stay away from uh, alcohol and, and most stuff, although I have a sweet tooth. Um, physical activity every day. I'm working out for an hour, like I said, walking the dogs, being active, spending out out time outside and um, beautiful Colorado. Um, friend, time with friends and family, incredibly important. I'm actually bad at getting away from the laptop or the computer. So anything I can do to put myself in a situation where I have to be away from it is is always good for, for my mental health. And I'm always reading books or having books on audio and trying to learn for, from other people as well. So that's kind of my overall just mentality on life. And life's short. You got you to gotta enjoy it and also just figure out a, a, way, a way to give back. I mean, 
I, I've been so lucky, like not that we didn't work our butt off for free up, but anytime you exit a company, like things have to go right and you get breaks along the way, but we want to give back any way we can. And with my wife and I, it's being foster parents and being able to, to give back to a kid who, who didn't have the, the fortunate to um, have two loving parents and food on the table and um, learn the money and life skills that, that I was fortunate enough to, to learn, um, even though I didn't grow up rich. So a lot of stuff that you take for granted as a kid, as you grow up, you, you kind of realize how lucky you are. I love that, man. And I think that's one of the big thing that's, things that separates you from the majority of the entrepreneurs and the majority of the uh, thought leaders and stuff like that in this space is you're, you work hard when you need to, but you're also not destroying yourself. And you have a certain sense of balance to everything and you prioritize the family and the majority of business owners and people that are trying to build something, they don't really realize that they're looking up to somebody who they might have the business results that they want, but behind closed doors, their family's falling apart and all these different things. So I, I think it's a very, I, I'm very, I, I feel, I feel grateful to be able to amplify you. I, I'll boil it down to that. I, I so appreciate it. What's the best I... way for people to well, go ahead. I was going to say, like, there's a time and a place for a hustle, like for free up for four years, like I was working my butt off. I was a young, hungry entrepreneur. And obviously things change as you evolve. So there's kind of a time and place. And the more you, closer you can get to a balance, the, the better you'll be. Yeah. And the closer you get to it, the sooner, the better as well is something that I've learned. The less, uh, the less damage it causes to you, both physically and mentally, because we have a habit of destroying ourselves as entrepreneurs. Right. <laughs> exactly. So what's the best way for people to see more of you and get involved with you, man? Yeah. Go to outsourceschool.com, go to ecombalance.com or accountsbalance.com and check me out on any social media channel, Nathan Hirsch. Thanks again for tuning in for another episode. Make sure that you subscribe to the show so you're never left out in the snow. Do you want to build a business or get more customers online? Are you tired of spending all your time shackled to your business? Tired of being treated like the court jester? Not anymore. You can get a care package from Trey today for just a buck that will help you beat shiny object syndrome with Trey's favorite tool list. Build your online authority and network with your own podcast and by being interviewed on other podcasts. Systemize your business with Trey's seven pillar system. Hire a VA to get your time back and so much more. You heard me right. All of that for less than the last Starbucks you got. Go to TreyCarmichael.us and get yours while it's hot. Check the couch for that dollar if you gotta.